0: I want y'all to do a little experiment with me. <clears throat> I want y'all to think about Jesus, but a little bit more. A little bit more than that. More than that. A little bit more detail than that. I want you to think about what you think about when you think about Jesus. Okay. I want you to get a picture in your mind. Picture him physically. What's his What's his physical appearance? When you think about Jesus, what do you think Jesus looks like or looked like? What's his physicality what's his hair look like what are his eyes like what's his skin look like how tall is he how short is he and then I want you to go a little bit deeper than that think about what do you think about when you think about Jesus and his personality how do you think that Jesus carried himself how did he move throughout the world how did he talk how did he relate to people what do you see in your mind when you think about Jesus? What kind of person was Jesus? Remember, Jesus was fully man. He was fully God, but he's also fully man. What kind of person was he when he walked the earth? And when you think about him, what do you see? What do you visualize in your head when you pray to Christ? What is it that you see? Who is this person that you're praying to? What is that person like? And, of course, I'll go back and I'll say, what's the what's physicality? What does Christ look like to you? Y'all got you got that image, kinda, kinda, sorta. Laura, I throw that next slide up. Does he look anything like that? <laughs> Raise your hand if your Jesus looks something like that. Seriously, physically. Okay, All right. That's that's cool. That's great. Awesome. You're not in trouble. <laughs> so yeah, this is a this is a painting. It was painted in 1940, and I don't know how this happened. I don't know why this happened, but if, but if you have been uh, a part of any predominantly white Protestant church throughout your lifetime since about 1940, 1950 or so, you have seen this picture, no doubt. This picture has influenced your perception of, of what Jesus looks like and who Jesus was to some degree. Every single church I have ever stepped into has this picture of Jesus sitting around somewhere, at 2023, it's generally sitting in the corner of an old Sunday school room now. But regardless, they're still there. There was one in my last church, and I'm pretty certain a few months ago I came across one here in, at, at BMSUMC. UMC. Because so y'all have seen this. Um, now this 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 affects you. Remember how we talked about everything that we everything that we take in, everything that we that we that we uh, uh, um, see externally or hear externally, we take in internally, and it kind it kind of forms us. The the people that we hang around, the music that we listen to, the social media that we take in, the news that we listen to, the conversations that we have. Well, this is another this this is another example of that. So we've seen this picture at some point in our lives, and a lot of you just raised your hand and said, "Yeah, this is kind of what I see when I envision Jesus in my head." So this thing has influenced you. Actually, it's probably influenced you to a great degree. This is what you see. This ain't Jesus. Thinking beyond, let's go. Let's go just beyond the the, the racial and the ethnic uh, falseness of this picture. He wasn't a white dude with long blonde hair that looked like Kenny Loggins. This guy looks pretty tame to me. Who's got a daughter? Nobody here has a daughter. Seriously. <laughs> This guy looks kind of like somebody you'd you take home you 'd let date your daughter doesn 't he? Maybe maybe you all don 't like the long hair, but for the most part, he looks pretty gentle he looks pretty he looks pretty uh, pretty pretty innocent, pretty tame so there's a couple there's a lot of things that are wrong with this picture there 's a lot of things wrong with this image of Jesus, not, not, not the least of which is which is the physical appearance. He, he would not have looked anything like that. Jesus, by all accounts, we, we know well, we know where he came from, so he's a Middle Eastern man, so he certainly wasn't white. Certainly didn't have that long, beautiful, flowing, blondish-brown hair. Um, but there's also things that this picture presents that are just not accurate. Unfortunately, we form Jesus into our image a lot of times. And I would argue that whoever painted this probably had an image of Jesus, and he was formed into his image. And this has affected a lot of us. I want you guys to know the real Jesus. The Jesus that I know and, and, and what I believe is the Jesus of the Gospels. And he may be somebody that's completely and totally unfamiliar to you. The Jesus that I know was pretty doggone, was pretty dangerous. The Jesus that I know, the Jesus that I read about in the Gospels, you might describe, you've heard me describe him before as a radical. And he was a radical. He was, he, was, he, was, he was a rebel. He rebelled against the religious culture of his day. And most of y'all are very, very aware of that. We have been taught a lot of times, a lot of us, and I, I speak for myself on this one. And y'all can think back in, in your history of your life and tell me if I'm right or wrong. But we haven't really been taught how dangerous Jesus was. We really haven't been taught how counterintuitive of a life Jesus taught us to live. We have been taught that Jesus taught us good manners and he taught us how to be polite. He taught us how to be good citizens. To a degree, I guess maybe some of that is true, but to the greater degree that is absolute nonsense because Jesus didn't come to teach us to be polite people. Jesus did not come to teach us to be good citizens. Those are those are those are lessons for another class that we might take or through, or through our parents or our grandparents. Jesus came with a completely different message and that's what we've been getting at for these last several weeks. So for the last several weeks, if you haven't, if you haven't been here, we've been talking and taking a, a deep look about what it means to what it looks like to be fully and completely devoted to Christ. To pledge ourselves, to live our allegiance, that's my word, to live our allegiance uh, to Christ through every aspect of our life. Salvation is free, folks. We talked about this last Wednesday during our Bible study class. We talked about the book of Galatians. Galatians is all about freedom and the the freedom that Christ provides and, and the freeness of the gift of salvation. Salvation, folks, is absolutely free. It's an absolute free gift to us. Discipleship, however, is a choice. Discipleship is a choice. The early church, our own Methodist movement... Countless others, countless other movements that might be referred to as restoration movements throughout the history of the church have all recognized, every one of them, they have all recognized that at its core, Christianity is about allegiance to Jesus Christ above all else, allegiance to his person, allegiance to his teachings, allegiance to his guidance, allegiance to his commandments, in short, Allegiance to his lordship we call Jesus our savior and our lord but do we really really believe and do we really really place into practice the fact that Jesus is our lord do we know what a lord is anymore we don't live under that type of government but all of us have had history lessons and all of us know uh, various types of government we know what kings are we know what queens are we know what lords are what do you do under a lord he's your boss you follow him or her. To say that Jesus is Lord means that I have complete allegiance and submission to what Christ calls us to be and to what Christ calls us to do. Here's the problem. What we want to do a lot of times, and a lot of us have been taught this, folks. You know, I've, talked, I've, I've, I've shared this conversation with a number of you before, but here's the big problem that I see. Too often, what we want to do is we want, we want to reap all the rewards of Jesus' love for us Without surrendering ourselves to his will for us. Without seriously taking the mindset, the lifestyle that Christ prescribes. We want just enough Jesus to save our souls and to save our rear ends. But we don't want so much that he makes us uncomfortable or he challenges us. This guy doesn't look very challenging to me. As I've said it before, the idea of not devoting ourselves to Christ, accepting the benefits of Christ without accepting and practicing the self-sacrifice that he calls us to. That would have been a foreign concept to the early church, at least for the first 300 years anyway. It would have been a foreign, foreign concept to those Christ followers. Every now and again, every now and again, we always fall into this trap, but every now and again, there are certain people and there are certain groups that have been in the church, and these groups and these people have risen up to challenge the status quo of complacency in the church. John Wesley, the early Methodist movement, was one of them. They stood up, they challenged the complacency and and, and the uh, the lack of discipleship that was occurring in their church at the time. So that's what we're kind of doing over these next few weeks and have been doing for the last three weeks. We're looking to Jesus. We're looking to Christ as the author and the perfecter of our faith as the book of Hebrews describes him, to challenge that complacency, to challenge that complacency in our individuals, to challenge that complacency in our churches, to recognize that God's grace, although it is free, also comes with that call to sacrificial love for God and for neighbor without question and without hesitancy. Again, church, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus was a renegade, man. Jesus was a radical. He was a rebel. But we have basically turned him into a nice guy who teaches us good manners. We have domesticated Jesus to the point where he is hardly recognizable. When you compare him to what we tend to think of him today, that person that we, that we actually find in the Gospels. Irrecognizable. UMC pastor, United Methodist pastor and uh, author. Author. Guy named Mike Slaughter, he kind of puts it like this. And he sums it up really great. This is what this is what Pastor Slaughter wrote in one of his books. He says, "We have dumbed down. we have dumbed down what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Our churches consist of members who have little to do, little to do with following Jesus. We have turned our church in quotes into a noun, a stationary building that we visit once a week or maybe once a month for many of us. Instead of a living, functioning, working community of Jesus-following believers, the church has redefined faithfulness as simply showing up for worship, maybe making a donation, and then going back home to our regular lives instead of being disciples who demonstrate an undiluted devotion to Christ as Lord. We have domesticated and we have watered down Jesus' true identity. And I don't know how this happens, folks. I don't know how this happens. It's, it's, not, it's not now. It's, it's, it's always occurred. Maybe it's poor teaching. Maybe it's poor preaching. Maybe it's poor leadership. Or maybe it's just good old-fashioned pride or good old-fashioned denial. But more often than not, we have denied and we have failed to live out the radical nature of Jesus' message and that radical call to mission. We've been talking a lot about mission here at Bemis, especially in the early half of the church year. Folks, I'm not trying to say something crazy. I'm trying to sell you something that you can very easily read about yourselves. It's right there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is who you find in the person of Jesus Christ. I promise you, I'm not trying to say you something nuts. I want you, if you don't believe me, if you don't understand what I'm talking about, if you don't, you don't, you don't think I'm right about this subject, I, I want to challenge you to go back and read If you've never read the Gospels before, pick up the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are all the stories of the life and the teachings of Jesus. I want to challenge you to read those. And then after you read them, or while you're reading them, ask yourselves a few questions. How is the Jesus who is represented in these Gospels different from the way that I have perceived him? Or the ways that you might have been taught to perceive him? What is the Jesus of the Gospels calling you or calling us to be and do? And once you do that, I'm going to challenge you, if you've never read it before, if you've never read anything else in the Gospels before, I want you to read Matthew chapter 5 verses, uh, through Matthew chapter 7. We call that the Sermon on the Mount. And after reading the Sermon on the Mount, if you don't think that Jesus was a rebel, if you don't think Jesus was a radical, who came to teach us some absolutely upside-down, counterintuitive ways of being, I don't know what I could possibly do to change your mind on that. Go to those Gospels. Read about this guy that we say that we worship. Read about this guy that we say that we follow. And I think that it just jumps right off the page to you. Look at Jesus' words. Some of your Bibles even have the words of Jesus written in red. So you can easily spot them. Then examine how, really, how truly revolutionary those words were 2,000 years ago and still how revolutionary those words are in 2023. Last week we just talked about some of the, one of the most revolutionary teachings of Christ, that completely unnatural, counterintuitive commandment to love our enemies just as we love ourselves. If y'all were here last week, y'all remember talking about that one of the hardest teachings of Jesus, one of the most counterintuitive teachings of Jesus, one of the most radical teachings of Jesus, to not seek revenge against those who cause us harm, but not only that, but to in fact pray for them, but not only that, to in fact go the extra mile through our actions to show our love for them. That's the radical Jesus that I'm talking about. Here's another one. This is probably going to make some of us a little bit uncomfortable. I don't care what any preacher that you might have ever heard has said this. If they've said this, they're wrong. Jesus does not promise us an easy, carefree, or a trouble-free life. As a matter of fact, he said exactly the opposite. Luke nine twenty-three through 24 Jesus says this, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Folks just like today, many people during Jesus' time of his ministry, they couldn't accept this message, and, and they very much did, in fact, walk away. A lot of us remember that story of the rich man, rich young, what we call a rich young man, or the rich young ruler sometimes, very, very wealthy young man that we read about in the Gospels. He, appeared, he comes to Christ and he appears very, very eager. To, uh, to join Jesus' inner circle. So Jesus says, of course, you're welcome to join. But he also says, basically, you're going to need to get rid of something that, that I know is holding you down, that I, an idol in your life, something very close to your heart. He says, yeah, of course, follow me. First, though, I want you to go sell everything that you own and give it to the poor. And if y'all are familiar with that story, y'all know that that man could not do that. And he literally turned away, and he walked, he walked away from being a follower of Christ. Here's another one that's going to grab your attention, another one of these radical, crazy teachings of Jesus. Luke fourteen twenty six. If anyone comes to me and does not hate their father and their mother, their wife and their children, their brothers and their sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. How does that make y'all feel? What do y'all think about that? You don't you'll have to answer out loud. Just consider it in your head basic interpretation being a follower of jesus requires a complete reprioritization of our relationships in this particular case so i'm not scaring anybody jesus is using something called hyperbole it's an exaggeration he's exaggerating to make a point it's something jesus does a lot of time it's not it's not no jesus does not want you to literally to hate your brother your sister your wife your children all that stuff but he's using this hyperbole to make a point it's a very common practice that he does, but he makes it emphatically clear that our relationship and our allegiance to him as Lord supersedes all other relationships. Let me repeat that to you in these verses where he's talking about hating your brother, your, your, your spouse, and your children, your mother, father, all, all that stuff. This is the point of it, he's making it clear that our relationship and our allegiance to him as Lord supersedes all other relationships and that may sound, I don't know what that may sound like to some of y'all but today as I stand here as a 47 year old man, former substance abuser I can tell you thank God that my relationship with Jesus supersedes all other relationships because I could not be a Christian I could certainly not be a pastor and I could certainly not be a father or a husband to these two up here if my relationship with Jesus didn't come first If I wasn't submitting, at least in some way, shape, or form, and I'm not perfect by any stretch, but I'm getting a little bit better as time goes on, I would be absolutely incapable of being this woman's husband, of being this boy's father, of being your pastor, if that relationship with Christ didn't come first. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. So yes, Jesus calls us to first relationship with him. First and foremost, not because he's mean, not because he's ugly, because he cares for us and he knows what's going to happen. If we're committed to him, we're going to be committed to the people that we love. If we're committed to him, first and foremost, we're going to be committed and more loving to the people that surround us, the people who are important to us. Here's a few more crazy, radical, rebellious type teachings of, of Jesus' nature. We all know this one, love your neighbor as yourself. How about this? The last will be first, and the first will be last. The Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. And last but not least, blessed are those who are poor in spirit and blessed are those who meek. How counterintuitive is it for us to be meek, to be poor, to be poor in spirit. Tell me again that Jesus didn't teach some radical upside-down stuff for his followers. When he was nailed to that cross... When he was watching, as those soldiers gambled for his clothes, listening to people mock him, listening to people insult him, what did he pray? He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's something you would do. That's about the most counterintuitive thing that I can possibly, that's the most radical idea that I can possibly think of. Instead of fighting back, instead of destroying his enemies, and believe me, Jesus could have absolutely fought back. Why? Because he's Jesus. But he didn't do it. He gave his life to save those people, those people that were killing him, mocking him, gambling to see which one was going to get his clothes. Take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Church, this is the radical message of the gospel. This is the radical message of the gospel. It was preached by a radical man named Jesus to those who wanted to be his followers 2,000 years ago, and he's preaching the same message to us 2,000 years later. That message has not changed. Now, here's the good news for y'all who might be feeling a little bit beat up at this point. Jesus still recognizes our flawed humanity. Again, we go back to Jesus being human. Think about that for a second. This is God in the flesh. God in human form. God felt physically felt and physically went through everything that we go through in our lives. I suspect Jesus probably went through some depression. He certainly went, he certainly experienced hatred. He certainly experienced poor relationships, physical pain, mental pain, emotional pain, all of that stuff the God of the universe in physical form went through. So yeah, Jesus understands our human frailties. He gets that. He gets that we're flawed, and although we're called to be these sold-out disciples that I'm talking about, Jesus is full of that thing that we call grace. Jesus is full of that thing that we call grace, despite the fact that he never lowers his standards, despite the fact that he never turns away or calls back on any of his teachings or his commandments for us. Despite all of that, the grace of Jesus continues to sustain us. And the grace of Christ is never ending. Think about Peter. We talked about Peter this last week in in our Wednesday night Bible study. This guy named Peter, if if you're not familiar with him, uh, this guy was was a disciple of Christ. He had a a propensity to stick his foot in his mouth a lot of times and just do a lot of stupid things. But one thing that he did was was he ran away when Christ was arrested among among a lot of the other disciples. They came to arrest Jesus and uh, Peter left. He, He ran away. A, number, a little while later, he winds up denying Christ three times. Denying that he even knows this guy named Jesus. At least three people ask him, you don't, Oh, you're with, you're with this Jesus guy, right? And he's like, No, 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 no. I don't even know the dude. What was Jesus' response to Peter following his resurrection when, when they bumped into each other again? Did he condemn Peter? Was he harsh to Peter? Absolutely not. He forgave Peter. He welcomed him into that relationship we welcomed back, he welcomed him back into that relationship with Christ. And he wound up utilizing this guy named Peter to be one of the foundations of building the early church, as we all know. God require, Christ requires a lot, but he's also full of grace. Requires a lot, but he's also, he forgave. Peter, He forgave that criminal that was hanging next to him on the cross. He forgave those people that were at his feet while he was hanging there and they were humiliating him. Time and time and time and time again, Jesus taught that mercy triumphs over judgment and that mercy triumphs over religious rigidity. Jesus hung out with women, which was an absolute no-no at that time. He hung around with lepers. He hung around with blind people. He hung around with adulterers. He hung around with prostitutes. And he hung around with thieves. The type of people that most of us spend our entire lives trying to avoid. You say, Jerry, you had not used any scripture yet. I'm just getting beginning, by the way. Here comes the scripture. Just kidding. But I am going to throw some scripture at you. This is out of the Gospel of John. Jesus says these words. Just And just, just roll all this stuff in your mind. Think about what we talked about in the first half of the sermon with, with, with the radical message of Jesus, the radical lifestyle the, and the radical mentality that he calls us to. Think about the grace of Christ that still sustains us even though we fail time and time and time and time again. But Jesus speaks these words in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, 6 and 7. He says, I am the way. A lot of y'all are familiar with the scripture. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. That verse 7, I love that verse 7, man, because that verse 7 touches on something that, that, that we have already touched on a great deal in depth. Jesus is the revelation of God. If you really, if you know me, if you know Jesus while I was on earth, if you know the way that I conducted myself, the way that I spoke, the way that I thought, the way that I related to you people, the things that I taught you, if you know me, you know God. Remember I was talking about this a few weeks ago? Can't separate Jesus and God? If you want to know what God's ultimate character is, God's ultimate essence is, look to Jesus Christ because they are one and the same. That's exactly what verse 7 is. If you know me, if you know Jesus, you know who God is. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him because he was him. Verse 6 is one of those interesting verses to me. because uh, we've, talked about, we've talked about clobber passages before. I don't know if I've ever talked about them from the pulpit, but we've definitely talked about them in some of our small groups. Clobber passages are some of those random passages in the Bible that a lot of Christians want to take out of context and, and utilize them to beat, uh, beat non-Christians over the head with. Oftentimes, this is one of those clobber texts. Oftentimes, what you'll see with some religious folks is, is they'll, take the, they'll take this verse and utilize it as kind of a fence, to divide who's in and who's out. Y'all ever, y'all ever heard anybody say that or utilize that in a conversation with somebody? Or maybe they even spoke it to you, spoke it to you in a conversation. Basically, it divide again, they use it, utilize it to divide who's in and who's out. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no one, your, your Bible might say, man, no one comes to the Father except through me. Within that context, I don't think that's what Christ is saying at all. I don't think this is a divisive passage. I don't think that, God, that Christ is trying to, 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 to divide us and utilize this to, to throw out there to beat up non-Christians. I, I, think it's, I think it's a passage of comfort. I think it's a deep passage of comfort. I think that what Christ was saying is kind of something like this. You will never know the love of God as a parent except through me. Reread that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You will never know God as a parent except through me. Church, through Jesus, God no longer. And this is, this is the cool stuff. This is, this, is, this is the fun stuff. This is the rewarding stuff. Through Jesus, God no longer appears as an untouchable judge to us making a list every time that we messed up. That was the environment, again, that I was brought up in. Many of you were brought up in the same types of environment. I felt, God, I felt that God, I was, I basically felt that God was a cosmic Santa Claus making his list and checking it twice. Those little things of, you know, when's Jerry been naughty and nice? That was what I thought of God. That's the God that I was, that I was raised with. That I, that, that I, that's, I thought that's how God operated. But through Christ... Through Jesus, through what we know about Jesus, God is no longer this untouchable judge who's making a list. Every time I mess something up, he is the ultimate. He is the perfect parent who loves us intimately and he loves us truly, truly unconditionally. That's some radical stuff, folks. From the life and the teachings of Jesus to what we know about God through who Jesus was, through the grace of God, that also, that through, through the grace and the love and the mercy of God that also challenges, th- challenges us through the commandments of Jesus. And yet at the end of the day, we can still rest in this fact that God is the ultimate parent. A lot of us have had issues with our parents. A lot of us have, 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 have had hurt from our parents. I understand that. I get that. And it's hard for some of us to relate to God because we, we, we envision God as being like that parent that we had a bad relationship, right? I'm sure a lot of y'all do this or have done have done this at some point in the past. God is a different kind of parent. God is a different kind of father. That's why Jesus called him what, Kevin? <laughs> come on. Come on now. You just said it last Sunday. That's why Jesus called him Abba. That deep term of intimacy. It's more than dad. It's more than daddy. It's... Or, or, Anything that we can possibly relate to, there was a deep intimacy there when Jesus utilized that term, Abba, Abba. If you want to know what your heavenly Father's like, if you want to know what your heavenly Father, how your Father relates to you. Look to Christ. This is this is the Jesus that I've come to know, Church. And this this is, I'll, I'll, there's 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 some things that I think that are open for debate. <laughs> This is, to me, this is not one of them. I, th- I think this is truly the Jesus of the Gospels, the one that we've talked about today. I think this is the one who calls us out to, uh, to live out incredibly challenging standards, incredibly challenging standards, yet at the same time, he's there to shelter us and he's there to console us when we, when we fall short. Go back and read the Gospels, folks. If you haven't done that in a while, I, I, I challenge you to go back and do that. If you've never done that, please do that. Check out those red letters. Again, some some of your Bibles actually have the words of Jesus in red, so it's really easy to find them. See this challenging message that Christ presents to us. You know, I had somebody, I had, I had somebody yesterday. That I was surprised. They they caught me off guard. I'm about to wrap up. I know we're running late, but this is this is this is some important stuff, man. Um, But I had somebody ask me yesterday and it, and it took me off guard because very few people ever asked me this question. But they, they asked me I said Jerry, where did where did you something effective, Jerry, where did you get this heart that you have for discipleship, for following Jesus? And I said, because it just makes sense to me. It finally just clicked. And it finally just started making sense to me. You know, salvation's one thing, being being, being reconciled to God through the, through the atonement and, and through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was all well and good, but there's something more to it. And the more that I look to Christ and the more that I look to these unnatural, again, I'll use that word counterintuitive way of being and way of thinking and way of living and moving throughout the world, the more it just started to make sense to me. What happens, what happens when I don't forgive somebody? What happens when I don't forgive? Does it eat that person up? No, it eats me up. Maybe that's why Christ taught us that, among other reasons. What good does it do me when I, when I seek revenge or retaliation against somebody that hurts me? I might get some kind of prideful fulfillment, but at the end of the day, that just brings more pain and more sin and more suffering. There's a reason that Jesus teaches all these counterintuitive things because he knows us. And he knows what could be and what communities could be. What would happen? What would actually happen if we refused to follow the world's standards and actually started loving our enemies as we do ourselves? What would happen? What would our churches look like? What would our communities look like? That's what gives me the heart for discipleship. Because Jesus talks this upside-down way of living, of being, of moving, of operating throughout the world that goes against so much of our natural tendencies. And I'll say this, so much of our natural sinful tendencies that go against the perfect will of God to love him and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And I see the potential. I see the potential that could happen in family, in individuals, in families, in churches, in entire communities if we actually started embracing these ideas and actually taking seriously the words of Christ and stop acting acting as if they're somehow or another optional. That's why. That's why, because I, I just see the potential, church. Y'all pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, as we always do, God, each Sabbath day. We thank you so much for our brothers and our sisters, God, and the community that we have here with one another. We thank you, God, for your... Uh, For the presence of Christ. We thank you so much for for the teachings and the commandments of Christ even though they are so, so very difficult for us to follow. We thank you for your grace, God. We thank you for your grace that catches us, your grace that sustains us, your grace that reminds us of how truly loved and accepted we all are. Thank you so much, God. So much. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.